0: A couple different open monologues here. One is Baker's tweet and how that leads to Cleveland angst and angst that you kind of have to sign up for in certain cities. And I also want to talk about the point guard position and how it's changing and maybe not in a great way in the NBA. Joel Klatt, we're doing it all. College ball, the playoffs, our picks for the title game, of course the SEC topic, and a life advice that leans aggressive towards the end. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon, the perfect pants Do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three row all electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With 0-60 to speed that thrills you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. I want to start today's podcast with a couple different topics that have nothing to do with uh, the other one. Um, One's going to be NBA point guard stuff that I'm going to get to a little bit. Later, it's just kind of something I've been working on and thinking about. Um, Certainly not the most detailed thing that I've ever worked on. But we had a little news over the week, uh, and that's Baker Mayfield. This has been a really frustrating season again for the Cleveland Browns. We'll get to that. That's nothing new. And Baker now, four years in, a guy you took number one overall, which, again, it wasn't like they were on an island when Cleveland took Baker number one overall. There were other teams in the top ten mix that I'd heard prior to that definitely liked Baker, but it was it was kind of that last 24 to 48 hours. I remember when all that news was happening, like, wait, Cleveland's taking Baker one because of all the guys that were in that draft. I'm like, man, that's the guy that you want to go with. Um, and at this point, it it hasn't worked out. Uh statistically, the season, you know, the picks to touchdown ratios, the, the worst he's ever had. I mean, honestly, their season last year, he was he was pretty good. Um, if you look at some of the raw stats. Uh, I he's hurt, right? We could we can say that. I think we can all agree that he's hurt. Um, and it's been terrible this year. But, you know, is it just because he's hurt? Is he, Has he been the guy that you'd hoped he would be if you're a Cleveland Browns fan? Like, definitely not. Uh, there was also, I think, at the end of one of the years, a couple years ago, where you went, wow, this guy turned a corner. He started figuring some things out. And really, it probably had to do more with the opponent's um than it was necessarily him becoming this this franchise quarterback but when you enter the season and if you looked at the pro football focus stuff they do kind of roster talent ranking one through 32 and you could look at other places too if you look at the browns roster in totality it was kind of like a top five like around number five maybe number six overall roster ranking And you can debate that all you want but i think we'd all agree that the browns coming into the year we thought this was gonna be a really good football team they're six and eight with another week to go um Again, I've watched him enough this year that I do think that he's hurt. Um, the fifth-year option was already picked up. Maybe he's going to demand a trade. Some of that stuff was out there because it's the fifth year trying to figure out not only where you fit in with the franchise, but also what kind of money you're going to get. And Let's not kid ourselves. And Then you still have the coaching change where I don't know what the disconnect with he and Stefanski is. Uh, I don't know what's real. I don't know what isn't. So Mary Kay Cabot, has been covering the Browns forever. Um had a piece where she titled it basically Baker Mayfield must resolve his differences with Stefanski soon in case they need to coexist next season in case. So, you know, that's kind of leaving open the idea that he might even be around also some names that will be on the radar if they don't. So Baker quote tweeted it and said, clickbait you and many other Cleveland local media continue to be drama stirring reporters with no sources or facts. Don't put words in my mouth so you can put food on your table. I'm not your puppet. Boom. All right. So I can understand his point. Um, when you were this level of, of the focus of not only a city's attention, but nationally as a quarterback in the NFL, it's probably not a lot of fun to read all this shit about you all the time. But Baker also kind of can't help himself. And anybody, we kind of understand like the fundamental rules of an argument. If you've done something wrong or you're blamed for something, but somebody coming at you makes a mistake or maybe gets like one of the five things wrong that they're accusing you of, you focus on the thing that they're saying that's not true. And then you dismiss every one of their other things that may be true. I mean, this is defense one hundred and one, right? We've all done it. We've probably done it to other people in arguments, and this is the part where the public figure, even if they might be right, and you know they want to be, they want to defend themselves. Um, it just never really seems to go over that well, especially when you don't win, right? When you don't win, nobody has your back. And it's the same thing with the ads. I remember when RG three lights it up his rookie year. He's doing a bunch of ads. Um, really, his downfall was he couldn't keep himself healthy. I think he butted heads with Washington's play calling and the offense coming in the second year. But what did it turn into? Like, oh, RG's three, he's just doing too many ads. You know, a little less subway, a little more completions. And Baker, who's great in all these ads, uh, is in a bunch of ads. They lose games. It's like, okay, where's this guy's head at? None of that necessarily is fair, but he needs to be better. He needs to be better both as a quarterback. He needs to be healthier. And he probably could do a better job of just sitting some of these things out when you're not winning games. Because, again, when you're not winning, no one's really going to be on your side. Let's do a hard turn on this. All right. This isn't necessarily this open about Baker specifically or even Mary Kay Cabot's position. Mary Kay sends out her tweet about a story about a lot of questions to ask. Fair. Baker fights back saying some of the stuff isn't true. And I get his point. Baker's tweet has over 66,000 likes. He hasn't many likes because you have a bunch of Browns fans who are like, this again? We're doing a quarterback thing again? Been doing this for decades. So, this speaks to the angst not only of Cleveland, but any fan in a fan base in a city that cares this much. This is about them hoping this isn't true because a lot of you have signed up for some seriously bad deals with your favorite franchises. You know, I have a ton of. Um, I, I don't think sympathy is really the right word here. I just like Cleveland. I do. I like those fans. Um And I sympathize with their plight and why, when they came back from 3 1 against Golden State to beat them in the city to get a championship that I've been waiting on forever, when it got emotional for these people, like that's a big deal. That was, that was, this is one of the historic sports cities in this country with decades of failure. All right. In all of their sports prior to that, when you look back at the Browns, um, the last championship was 1964. All right. Nineteen sixty-four, Cleveland Indians' last World Series title was nineteen forty-eight, um, and it kind of speaks to some of these other franchises too these are sitting around forever. Like, imagine being a Vikings fan; franchise starts up in nineteen sixty-one and you've never won a title. Like, can you imagine that? Being sixty, growing up with it, you are like, "Yep, yeah, they've never won." I mean, you could even start to ask yourself like questions: Go, is this even worth it? I was watching the Knicks game with the Celtics last night, and they're like, you know, coming up on fifty years for the Knicks and their last title in nineteen seventy-three. Can you imagine winning that title? Say you're 10 years old, right? And you're like, man, this is awesome. Knicks won a title, two in what, like the last three or four seasons. Hey, man, it's going to be like 50 years. And who knows now? I mean, it could be another 10, right? I mean, it's not crazy to say the Knicks are probably, I don't know how many years they are away from their next championship. Could be longer than that. Maybe something crazy happens in free agency in a trade here or there. Five years, they're, they're having some kind of parade. But would you, if you knew that, all right, so this is this is speaking of Browns fans, Knicks fans, Vikings, you know, pick whatever. We can go Seattle, San Diego, and baseball, but I'm not going to sit here and go through an entire list of, of championship droughts for franchises. But that's kind of the question here. and Why the Baker thing always is a little bit more tuned up, I think, than just another top quarterback flaming out. And I'm not even sure he's necessarily at the flame-out phase because, again, I think it's pretty clear he's, as much as everybody beat him up on social media, um, you know, he, I don't think he looks right, so... You know, is it making the excuse for him? I just think we're kind of telling the truth about the full scope of the Baker Mayfield conversation. But the, the reason for the angst is a lot about the cities and their histories. And it's, you know, I always think I come from a really good perspective on this because I grew up as an insane fan about things. You know, my mood was directly related to whether or not my football team won on the weekend, much like all of you listening to this today. You know, the Red Sox up and downs for me weren't healthy in a way. I miss that. I care that much. Um, in a way I love that I don't, and I'm not sure what's better. Sometimes I miss caring about the outcomes of things the way that I did when I was younger, but I got desensitized to it. I was in it nonstop. And when your passion becomes your profession, it's an incredible career, but it also is just going to kind of change the way you filter stuff. And I also think just being older, having some stuff, kids, dependents, real life worries as opposed to being in your 20s and going yeah I don't know like what do you think I'm doing seven to ten I'm watching the Red Sox like what you want me to go do something you want me to go to a dinner you want me to meet up no like I'm not doing that you know I, Hippolyta Pachardo's starting I want to see if they can get strong six out of them so um I re, I remember what that's I remember you know that Yankees run in the mid-90s being just hell for anybody who was a Red Sox fan in 96 you're like well they should have won that one and then they come back after the Marlins win in 97 you're just like this is the worst they they're so awesome they win every game they're like the lock of the century I remember I actually bet them for the series in 2002 against the Angels money line and I was like whatever I'm just gonna take this free money the Yankees win every series that was a loss that uh that was that was a tough tough fall for your boy but I remember working with this other guy who was older than me and then you know he was a big Yankees fan great guy great guy way back when I was in Vermont and I'm like yeah man yanks you know they just won the world series again i was like they're on a roll i was like it must be awesome you know i was like what's that feel like i was like i hate it like i feel i am in a bad mood now for a couple of years because of this but what's it like he's like well you know my mother died last week man so you know my enjoyment out of it is not quite the same you know going through stuff like that he's like you know i'm happy they won but you know my mother died last week and i was like yeah, oh, yeah that's right yeah i was like but god that team's fucking stacked huh? And he's just like, all right, yep, got it, dude. Um, and again, that was because that was I was in my own little world, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry about your mom. But, God, you bullpen. You've got so many options. So I would ask anybody, like if you knew, if you're, I mean, even if you looked at the Celtics and said, okay, the last title was 2008, what if the next title is not for 20 years? Would you sign up for that? Like if you were a Vikings fan in the 70s, you know, they're making the championship game. They're like, yeah, it's going to be 2020, whatever, and they're still not going to win one. You want to do that deal? And it's it's why it, when it happens, it's so fulfilling. And it's why when it happens in a city that's not used to having it happen, whether it's the Milwaukee Bucks or the Cavs, um, you know, Chicago, the Cubs getting their first one in forever. You know, we we've had a few over the last few years where these cities have finally been rewarded. And when you're rewarded that first time, um, it's got to be an incredible feeling. But I don't know that anybody would ever sign up for some of these deals if you said, hey, this title, the Cleveland Indians won won a World Series in nineteen forty-eight. They made the playoffs once from nineteen forty-nine to nineteen ninety-four. Would you ever Be like, and again, you know, we're talking the late 40s here. But would you say? And the format was a little different for baseball. But I don't know when you say it out loud if any fan would say, oh, so they're never going to win for like, I don't know. Like if they won when I was 10, I'll be 60 with grandkids and it still hasn't happened again. Yeah, sign me up for that. I'm in. When you say it out loud, I don't think many of you would. Positions never been deeper, insane talent. Going back, I would say less than 20 years, things have changed the last 10. Combo guard was a dirty word coming out of the draft. All right. If you were a guard in college who played point, but you were a score first point guard, I was like, eh, I don't know. He's not like a traditional point guard. We don't have traditional point guards anymore. We just don't. We have Chris Paul, you know, a couple of other guys that do get people set up and everything. Um, but now, it's almost weird if you don't have a score-first point guard. And I'm going to go through some of those teams a little bit later on. I was watching the Celtics game uh, last night. They're now 2-11 in games, decided by five points or less. Uh, it's comical how bad they are at the end of these games. And it's not just luck. They, I mean, there was two plays last night. I, I, they blew a 25-point lead to the Knicks. Um, they were doubling Tatum. Their defensive philosophy was incredibly simple. Tatum gets the ball to stay with Tatum, leave Marcus Smart or Dennis Schroeder wide open to take threes. Okay, well, that didn't work. It was so bad that there was an inbounds to Tatum where he was bringing it across half court and they went to trap him behind half court and no one from the Celtics was there as a valve to like help him. It's like, hey, they've been doubling him every fucking time and you guys can't figure this out to at least have somebody else be close to him and it almost led to a turnover. And then they didn't challenge a ball that went out of bounds off of Mitchell Robinson that was painfully obvious and for whatever reason they didn't challenge that one either. Celtics are a mess. Moving on. Um, There's a bigger point here though. The point guard position, the one that I grew up with, um, it wasn't about, you know, could you make shots? I always felt like it was kind of this identifiable thing when you watched it. It wasn't just assist totals. It was, all right, we've had two or three terrible possessions in a row Let's figure some stuff out here. Like, let, me, let me get us settled. Let me get somebody set up. I'm going to call this. I've seen this. I'm doing this. So when you ISO all game or you have point guards that don't really think the game that way, you know, where Jason Kidd would come down and go, all right, this is what we need right now. Gary Payton would be like, enough of this shit. Like, I need to get somebody else going here. We, we need to take advantage of something. I think the league is actually missing that part of it. And it it was such a stark contrast from watching the Celtics sit there not being able to figure out the same defense for like eight minutes to close the game versus Phoenix beating the Clippers. Again, it's the Clippers. But Chris Paul in a moment going, all right, take over time. I'm going to make sure everything we do at least gives us a really nice look. All right, doesn't mean every possession is perfect, but it means I'm going to give us a better chance. I'm going to set us up in a way that gives us a better chance to take advantage of something. I'm going to balance that out as well. And I'm going to shoot when I need to shoot, but I'm not going to shoot every time just because we're down by seven. And it's a transition to the league where it's amazing how talented the point guard position is, but it's evolved to a point now where I feel like you can see late game situations where it's like, all right, high screen and roll, three or kick to the corner. Like that's not not playing the point guard position. That's not understanding. I mean, honestly, LeBron is you know, brilliant at this, once again, a lot of the stuff that he does that's great, is understanding, okay, in this moment, what do we need to do a little bit differently after three or four bad possessions? And I think some of these guys that are just six scores, like they're unbelievable talents, I don't know that they think the game this way, and we used to be loaded with guards that way that actually didn't look to score as much. So when I look through all the champions, and I don't know how far back we want to go, there'll probably be a little dispute here and there, on kind of how I paraphrase this, but this is just a wing league. And if you run through all the title winners, now, Milwaukee with Giannis, he's definitely a different big, um, but he's still more of a wing than he is a traditional center. Um, and again, they play with a five-out center anyway in Brook Lopez, or they can play with, with Giannis. The Lakers, that's wings. Again, Anthony Davis, when he would want to play center. Toronto Raptors, you know, who's the main guy? It's a wing in Kawhi. Golden State, I can make it <laughs> about Durant to – to make this argument stronger, but it isn't just about Durant, but Steph is such a different point guard. And then it's not just the shooting. It's the assists, is he plays like a wing off the ball. And there's just other point guards that don't do that. We don't need to list them all. Again, I think I've done enough of that content, Cleveland, two wings, you know, whatever you want to call Kyrie, but he's still probably better as an off the ball guy as he is on the ball. Just, as dynamic as he is, he's not going to see the game the way some of the guys that I'm talking about, you know, that I grew up with. Golden State, 2015, Steph played point in that him figuring out Cleveland's double team was what turned that series. San Antonio, 2014 in the comeback against Miami, or not the comeback, but the uh, the revenge series against Miami. That was Kawhi at that point as a wing. Miami, two wings and Dwayne and LeBron. Dallas, not a big, not a point guard, but a stretch for Dirk the Lakers with Kobe back-to-back wing Celtics. Um, it was wings. It was more KG though, that really changed that thing around. Um, not that he's a traditional center perk was playing center, but it was about those guys more than it was a point guard and Rondo or Perk a center 2007. I know Tony Parker was the guy that closed it out in the finals, but let's face it. If Duncan, who's basically playing center, um, even though Spurs fans always try to argue that he's not a center or whatever, uh, if it's if Parker's in that series without Duncan, Parker's not playing in the finals. You know, If Duncan's on Memphis, I don't think San Antonio's winning all these, these NBA championships. Miami was a point guard-led kind of thing, almost with Dwayne Wade just having the ball all the time because prime Dwayne Wade was impossible to stay in front of and then he took a million free throws. Um, Spurs, Duncan, Pistons. Is Chauncey the most important player on the team? Maybe it's Ben Wallace. Could be a bit of an aberration. We'll get back to that. Spurs, Duncan again. Lakers, Shaq and Kobe. Maybe Shaq the most traditional big of the guys most recent to win it, which is still like 20 years ago. So, you know, we keep going, we go Jordan, we go Elijah The Detroit Pistons 89-90 might be the best example of a point guard-led team that won a title. So even with the depth of this position, which again, is it cannot be argued how many terrific point guards we have, there's still moments where you go, wait, do I need that score first point guard to win a title? I mean, look, if you have a player who's available, who's great, you add that player to your team. All right. I'm not I mean, like if, if Dame Lillard is available at some point, you go, wow. Well, you never still did the segment about point guards not leading your team, but it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And I just wonder if the combo guard evolution has led to that position being a little less important despite the numbers that we see from that position, because like whether it's Dame You know, then making the Western Conference Finals a couple years ago, like nice run, but I I wouldn't ever look at them as a title contender. They were still bad defensively and, you know, whatever that thing's gone off the rails. And, you know, those guys aren't even in the lineup right now. Trey, who I thought turned a corner last year. Uh, I don't know if he's kind of backed it into a different corner that he used to be in this season. Really nice story last year for Atlanta. But then is it is there a next step that exists? I really like Darius Garland a lot, but him trying to score on his own to close out Cavs games probably isn't the best version of this team offensively. And obviously Rubio not being there hurts them and doesn't allow Darius to do some stuff off the ball that he does when he's there. Utah kind of went with Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, they've had Conley the last couple of years. Um, Russell Westbrook, I think my position is clear on that. D'Angelo Russell, maybe just as clear. DeJounte Murray with San Antonio, who I really like a lot but, you know, again, that roster, I'm not sure what to do with it. De'Aaron Fox, where it was kind of like, look what this guy's capable of pivoting to, wait, is this guy really like a guy? I know he's making that kind of money. Shea Gilders, Alexander, whatever it is that Houston's doing, and then maybe even Zion a little bit. So it's just a, a simple question in that if you're looking at all these point guard numbers and all the talent, talented position, it's fun to watch, but what does it really mean? Because history tells us that that position doesn't really dictate who's winning a championship. So do
1: you have anything on that? Uh, I would just say that, you know, like look at a guy like Cole Anthony, right? Let's bring my magic into it. Uh, he's having a good year, 26 and six. But, you know, he's a middle of the, he's probably a mid to lower end starting point guard, I would say, in the NBA. And he's still super talented and he's putting up great numbers. There's just an abundance of talent at the position that where Unless you have one of the top elite guys, the Jaws, I'd, I'd probably throw Trey in there, Steph. Um, it's kind of an easy position to fill, right? So, you know, I don't know. Like, if you have a top pick, right? Are you, and, and it's between a point guard and a wing. I'm always going wing. This goes back to our argument about like, you know, the Mobley thing. Like, I'm always going to lean towards a wing because of what you just said about how that is who wins championships in the NBA. Like, I think Mobley would probably be more valuable than you know, a really good point guard in the league. And I think the point guard position, like there's just so many of these guys, you could probably find when in free agency or via a trade. You know, look at, you know, the guy that everybody's talking about, Deer and Fox. He's probably what, somewhere in the range of like 15 to 20th best point guard in the league. And he's available. And he's really good. So I just think it, you know, unless you have one of the top three, four, five guys, there's a lot of guys that are kind of the same.
0: Yeah, and I would put Kyle Lowry in that group of, of some of the more old-school approaches at times because, you know, however I feel about Lowry, who I think is one of the three most annoying people to watch play a basketball game, he's so smart, and he'll, he'll know, like, oh, okay, you know, this hasn't worked. This is something I can take advantage of. Or when Lowry's like, all right, look, they're one away from the penalty, and we need, we need some easy ones. I'll go in and have a big guy fall into me, and now I'm at the free-throw line. That shit wins games. And Lowry sees it. Paul has always seen it, but we used to have, that's what the position used to be. What do we need? Okay, I'm going to provide what we need. And now I think it's simply, oh, we're losing. Well, I'll just shoot. I'll just shoot. And like anybody that's ever played basketball, it's awesome when you have a great player, but it's fucking lame sitting around while four guys watch somebody do something the entire time. You no know, it's just it's just not fun to play with. And it changes your defensive effort. It changes how much you want to box out. It changes how much you want to screen. It cha- like there's there's a real harmony in basketball that is unlike any other sport where you you still have to worry about the feelings and investment of those around you. And so even though we've seen, I think with some of the number stuff where you know on paper, it sounds like a great idea, like, hey, we have an amazing player in James Harden. you know James Harden's passing in his getting people involved like i don't think every assist is created equally but i think hardens passing is actually really incredible but peak houston years it's like wait we're just gonna watch you dribble the whole fucking time um the you should stuff that we've seen with like the top guys like why would i want the ball in anyone else's hands and there's extremes like why do you want steph shooting corner threes and never having the ball like the early golden state stuff where he kind of did this hybrid thing with jared jack but then in the other extreme, it's like, does that mean that the best guy has to have the ball every single time because his points per shot is the best number? Because does that diminish who you could be potentially on the whole? And I think it's a, it's a healthy conversation. It's something that's worth debating. But it was such a stark contrast last night, seeing Chris Paul take over in the minutes that mattered and everything working out. He was He was just brilliant again. And then watching the Celtics do the same thing, every possession – Without anybody kind of going like, hey, why don't we try something a little different? And that's where the point guard is far more important than some play a coach is going to call.
1: And that's what I was going to say. Ask Marcus Smart to, to your original point. What's he think about <laughs> the ball movement in, in Boston? He's he's basically come out and been like, this is BS.
0: <laughs> and, and Tatum still was making the right plays. But you know, if you're going to go, hey, double, and then we throw it to this guy. You just become really, really easy to defend. And again, back to my point, the, the best point guards go, let's do something different. So they have to think about how they're defending us. And I feel like that part of the game is, uh, is diminishing. I don't really think there's much of an argument about it, to be honest with you. So there you go. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. One of the biggest voices in college football, a guy I'm a fan of, Joel Klatt of Fox, joins us on the podcast. Also remind everybody, Breaking the Huddle airs Wednesday, new show on FS1 that's 9.30 Pacific time, and also hosting the National Championship live tailgate on the night of the National Championship as we are less than
2: a week away. So what's up, man? Good to have you on. It's good to be here. I know we've been trying to do this all year. I'm glad we, we, we finally got it done here before the biggest game of the year. I know
0: I you got like Grammy winners that are easier easier booking than you, Joel. Uh, no, yeah, I know you're a busy guy. That's that's why I've I've, uh, I've enjoyed this. So let's let's take a look at you know recapping a bit of what we saw as we kind of look ahead to what the title game may be. You know, look, I thought Michigan had a chance. I'd like what Cade had been. I knew what they did best was not exactly uh, a recipe for beating Georgia because what they did best is exactly what Georgia does. And then it was horrifying. So what do you think happened in that game?
2: Well, I i mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, th- the problem was the matchup. Yeah, you know, This was a terrible matchup for Michigan. I think Georgia, uh, Michigan would have matched up much better against Alabama. Not that they would have won. Obviously, they would have been matched up better against Cincinnati. But Michigan um, had a, what I would call like a prerequisite to success offensively, which was they had to be able to run the football at least a little bit and establish that run in order to get to some of the play action and the wrinkles that they were so good at, which made them explosive. And Georgia totally took that away. I mean, absolutely dominated them at at the line of scrimmage. That defensive front seven is the best in college football. And I don't know if it's quite all that close, to be honest with you, um, they were just too strong. They they were too active. The linebacker, Nakobe Dean was too fast. Michigan didn't have a chance, and it was pretty clear. I thought within the first three minutes of the game, I was like, okay, this is this is not going to go well for Michigan, and I don't think that they've got um, many places to go in terms of adjustments to make this a game, and they didn't.
0: Yeah, that that was, I think, the part that was. You know, we knew Michigan was running the football. Um, we knew that with the way, you know, I thought one of those Ohio State stats that was unbelievable about that matchup was that Ohio State didn't have a tackle for loss in that Michigan game for the first time in like 16 years, and you go, whoa all right. So, you know, we know what they are on the edge for Michigan. We know how the offensive line holds up there a little bit, but I felt like, you know, whether it's my buddy Canell or just kind of the way it works geographically, people just started dumping on Georgia, especially feeling like, Hey, see, after they lost to Bama, they didn't play anybody. This team's completely overrated. Yeah. Maybe they should have been a tier on their by themselves. But my point was always kind of like, you don't house teams the way you're doing it. If you're Georgia and you, you're you not bad. Okay. You're not like an average team when you're holding teams, like seven points per game. So, is there enough there, you think, this time around? Like when you're looking at Georgia and going, hey, this team can learn some things. They they had enough things go
2: wrong in Bama that you feel good about their chances. Well, I'm, this is such a cliche. Don't roll your eyes. But man, it's hard to beat a team twice, especially yeah. a good team, right? And so, because they have the ability of hindsight and they can make adjustments, and they will. They're going to make adjustments. Um, and I, I don't love this excuse, but. Georgia only had, I don't want to say they didn't have motivation in that game. They wanted to win the SEC championship. They want to beat Alabama, but they knew that the entirety of their future was ahead of them, regardless of the outcome of that game. Um, and and I, I don't want to overplay that because I think that players go out there and they want to be competitive and they want to play their best, but there's no way that Georgia, was at their best that day against Alabama. Meanwhile, Alabama was up against the wall. They had to win that game. They knew they had to win that game or else they weren't going to continue uh, and go to the postseason in terms of the playoff. So that alone, I think, makes this a far different matchup. And then I think that the adjustments that Georgia can make in the front seven, and namely, their ability to produce at least some pressure on Bryce Young. This is where the game is ultimately going to be won or lost. Is because if Bryce Young could just sit there in the pocket and win down the field, I think that Alabama could have a similar outcome as what they had in the SEC championship game. But if Georgia can get to him and force him off of his spot and force him uh, to play under even similar duress to what Caden McNamara played under, then Georgia is probably going to win that game. And again, trying to beat a defense like that twice with a guy like Kirby Smart as a defensive coordinator, defensive coach, if you will, and Dan Lanning twice is going to be a very difficult to do. I fully expect him to make a, a, a fair deal of adjustments, in particular with that front seven and trying to create some pressure on Bryce Young's uh, face because that's what did not happen in the SEC Championship game.
0: Yeah, and that's why it was just so surprising. And, you know, I've always felt like you can kind of tweak an offensive line to fix your problems, but we had had, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, I'm, I'm repeating it for for you because we haven't talked about it but people listening to this are gonna be like oh here we go again but whether it was not being able to block AM, not being able to run the football against lsu likely losing that auburn game against tj finley on one leg i mean we had he couldn't even stop arkansas defensively it's, so we had more examples of bama not looking like bama than ever before and then you put it up against this front seven against georgia and you're like all right so wait they're just going to block these guys overnight and that's exactly what they did they got the ball out i mean the weird thing about it because i don't think cincinnati had much of a chance No, but it felt like Cincinnati confused Bryce more in a semifinal game they lost than the SEC title game effort by Georgia. Like I still felt like Bryce was a little choppy in some moments against Cincinnati. Yeah, and and I didn't see that against Georgia. So go ahead.
2: Well, I, I would just say I would I would say this, and it's been so long. I'm so old. It's been so long since I actually played. But I will tell you when you play against a structure of defense in practice, because that's what your defense plays. In spring football and fall camp, that's that's what you see the majority of. It's 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 more rare to be preparing on a Tuesday and Wednesday against a uh, a defense like Cincinnati. See, Bryce Young took very few snaps against the three three five stack defense, right? And it's a unique style of defense, and it's one of the reasons that we see Baylor have success in the Big Twelve is because they u- use this unique style and they confuse teams. Texas Tech, uh, uh, similar to that. Uh, even Oklahoma State, something similar to that, and it's hard from a quarterback perspective because there's not the defining factors that you see in other defenses. So think of it this way: every time a quarterback walks up to the line of scrimmage at any level, he's trying to determine whether the middle of the field is open or closed. And and that's a, that's a you know you've heard I'm sure Cannell and all these guys, all of us, talk about this from from a quarterback perspective. But the reason that you're trying to determine whether the middle of the field is open or closed. Is because that will tell you the nature of the defense and every part of that defense. The entire structure that defense comes out of is that middle of the field open or closed? Is there two safeties open or is there one safety closed? Um, that tells you everything that you need to know about run ratios, about structure, where the support is coming from in the defense, whether it's from the first level, or the second level, or even the third level. In the three-three-five, that doesn't really happen, okay? Because they can play structures of coverage that look closed, but play with the nature of open. And so it's, it's, it's very difficult. So one of the reasons why Bryce Young is just so comfortable against Georgia is because that defense that Georgia runs is cut from the same cloth as what he sees in practice every single day, in particular when you're talking about spring practice and fall camp. Uh, because Kirby and Nick have such a long history together. Okay, so he sees those adjustments. He sees the nature of that defense, and it's easy for him to react to. You get him against Cincinnati, and while Cincinnati might not be as talented as what Georgia is defensively, and they might not be as good of a defense, it can be more confusing for a guy like Bryce Young, and I think that's the reason why you saw at times, it was like, man, is Bryce off? Is the passing game off? Well, part of it is that you see this new style of defense for the first time, and it's hard to adjust.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, by the way. I think that's actually one of the best answers that I've heard on trying to you know, look at, hey, something I'm comfortable with, something I'm not. Because also we saw in that first drive against Cincy, I mean, it's just very clear, other than Beaver, Zero, who's kind of a defensive tackle for Cincy, just body type-wise, when you see it on the field, when you actually, like, we can know what the, the roster says. I'll never forget, Oregon, Ohio State, the second time Oregon <laughs> was in the national championship game, and I was on the field, and I picked Oregon on the show of Van Pelt. And I was walking around. I go, I want to change my pick now. I want to change it right now. <laughs> okay. I go, I'm changing. So you and I are on the record on Tuesday. I've changed my pick because it wasn't just the I was watching the guys move around. And right. I was like, this is. And so, you know, I think once you saw Cincinnati line up against Alabama, you're like, uh, yeah, okay. I mean, right? I, same page I here? mean, it was
2: the first. It's for me, I, mean, I hate to be this, this guy. And I, I am not going to. Listen, Cincinnati deserved to be there. Absolutely. You know, and I'm glad that yeah. they were there. The first run play of the game from Alabama, I was like, Oh, oh, this, like, this is not going to go well for Cincinnati. And I think that the frustrating part, as, as good of a coach as Luke Pickle is and, and as, as well as they have done, uh, in his tenure there, that was a, I, I I don't want to sound too harsh, but what I mean, it is what it is. That was a massive coaching fail from them in that semifinal game. Massive. Just think about this. You've got, as a tandem, as a tandem, the two best corners in college football. Right, Kobe and Gardner. One, right, right. Kobe and Gardner. Sauce Gardner. They, I mean, these guys are going to be, Kobe's probably going to be a second, late second, third round pick. Uh, good player. Good ball skill. Strong. Sauce Gardner is a legitimate possibly top corner in the draft. Certainly number two corner in the draft. First round guy. Like, legit dude. They are the best option that you have defensively. And they never committed all the resources to stopping the run. It was like, hey, we're just going to go in there and and our game plan is to allow Alabama to just hand the football off and win the game and just completely dominate up front. That is a massive coaching fail. And again, I like Luke a lot. That can't be your game plan. Your game plan cannot be, we're definitely going to lose and just get bludgeoned in the head by the run game. Not with those guys on the outside. They should have zeroed up, meaning zero safeties, go back to the technical term, played man coverage and said, listen, our best player is Sauce Gardner, Ahmad Gardner, and he's going to cover Jamison Williams wherever he goes on the field. And we're going to take our chances. And if Bryce Young and Jamison Williams beat us and beat Sauce Gardner, Ahmad Gardner, then their best is beating our best. But what we're not going to allow them to do is just sit there and run the ball down our throats to the tune of over 200 yards from Brian Robinson and not adjust because the defensive line was never going to stop that run game. It was never going to happen. And you saw that the very first carry of the game after the very first drive of the game when Alabama, I believe they only threw one pass. I mean, they went right down the field, right down the field. The entire game plan should have been scrapped right there and I would have gone zero coverage. Every resource is stopping the run. And if you still get beat, fine, but I didn't. I, I never saw that adjustment. And I know I get frustrated at things like that, but I get frustrated because I'm like, I, I just didn't feel like the coaching staff gave their, gave their players the best chance to compete in that game because they didn't allow those corners to just get after it.
0: The weird thing is, is you know, I don't know how history will remember it because Cincinnati had six points, you know, but it's surprising that Bam only had twenty-seven. Knowing that it was, it was one of those things where it was like watching somebody in a fight, and somebody was like, "I may not be landing a million punches, but I'm just holding you here, and you're just you're yeah. helpless. There's not going to be anything that you can do." So it sounds like as we kind of sift through all this,
2: I feel like you're leaning Georgia in the rematch. <laughs> I am um, Georgia was the better team for the majority of the season I think you would agree with that oh yeah uh, because of of what you just said earlier you talked about the times in which we saw some vulnerabilities from Alabama and those were real you can't you know, like
0: the, Better teams, you cannot, probably, but again, we you know what though. I mean, LSU, who barely had anybody left at the end of it, so I don't even know what to do with that game. But that's just that'll be one of the weirdest stats ever. Bama ran for six yards
2: against a depleted LSU team. Like, how does that happen? It's it's it, it's it's a wild stat. Their lack of execution in the red zone, in particular, inside the ten yard line, cost them against Texas A and M. Uh, they should have lost the game against Auburn if Auburn just uh, executes as far as clock management goes. That's, I mean, that's those are factual things, right? This is not a knock against Alabama. Georgia played this year for the majority of the time like a dominant number one team. Dominant. We saw that in the in in the semifinal. They did not play that way against uh Bama in the SEC Championship game for whatever reason. I think Georgia is the better football team. Bama has the best player in Bryce Young. Will Anderson is gonna have a a, a factor in this. Um I still I I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick Georgia. <laughs> I don't generally in these types of championship games pick against the best quarterback in the game, but I'm going to in this one because I just, I just feel like it's going to be really difficult to beat that defense from Georgia twice. I really do. In particular, without Mechie. You know, they, now they're, you're going to be able to roll coverage if you're Kirby. You're going to be able to sit there and just focus on Jamison Williams and really let that defensive front seven go. So I'm going to go with Bulldogs.
0: Yeah, and the Mechie part too was huge, and um, another reason why you could probably get on Cincinnati at least with its coverage design, where it's like you have one guy you have to worry about. I mean, the tight ends for Bama, you know, they're okay, but they're not—they're not scary. So, and I don't know. It, it was was, just, pretty, it was weird. It was pretty it was weird. It,
2: it was pretty clear that Cincinnati was fine, letting them snap the ball ten and eleven times to score, and saying, "Well, at least we didn't get." taken out by a haymaker you know they were out there to not get knocked out in the first round i felt like that game plan was to say we lasted all 12 rounds in this championship fight and we went to a decision versus like man they they clobbered us early and it was over all right let's um let's take a look at
0: it uh our favorite topic which you and i don't talk about a lot uh personally because we haven't talked in a while but we have we have done this before um the conference hierarchy stuff, which uh, we we always seem to be at odds on. Where are you now with a bad? What is now? You know, look, it's it's a five and seven record for the SEC. It will be six and eight. Um, I think the, the hardcore propaganda people, depending on which side you are on are, are super happy about this the same way the sec had a good bowl record last year. So that meant everything in the world. Sometimes the bowl things can be weird. I think this year is a good example of it. So I'm not being dismissive of a bad sec standard bowl record It's a bad record. They lost some games to some really good teams, but where are you with this? What becomes a cyclical angst for about four or five months of every college football year?
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I feel like it, it, um, the, the conference hierarchy conversation, in order to be fair about it, has to be broken up into three tiers. What are you at the top? What are you in the middle? And what are you, at, what are you at the bottom? And, and if you're not doing that, if you're going to lump everything in, I think that that's when you're just going to argue for argument's sake, because I, I don't, you cannot argue that any conference is, is superior to the SEC at the top end. You can't. They are the best conference at the top end. Their, their best teams are better than anybody else's top teams. In the middle of the conference, I think you can make a strong argument that it is even or even tilted towards the Big 10 in the middle of the conference. And then in the bottom end, I mean, who really cares, You know, who's the best of the worst? But that's another conversation for another day. Who is your worst team? Who are they beating? Do they give a challenge to a top tier team in your conference? But I really believe that's the case. And that's why I get in trouble uh, in in these conversations is because I will say things like the SEC is really average in the middle, the middle of that conference had a terrible year this year. They They were very average during the entirety of the regular season, and that proved out to be the case during the bowl season. And people will say like, you can't say the SEC is bad. I'm not. I'm saying that the middle of the conference was average this season. The top end of the conference is the best every year in college football, and it bears out whether it's the NFL draft or in championship season when we're crowning national championships. But that nuance tends to be lost when you just want to be uh, in, in a conversation that you're either chanting SEC or you're not. And and I you can't live in that space because, I'm sorry, but there's no other conference that so many teams ride the coattails of the two or three great teams like the SEC. It just doesn't happen. I'm so tired of those coattail riding programs that are just chanting away and talking about how difficult and how great and all this, when their records don't bear that out. That's not the case. It is false to say that the SEC top to bottom is better than every single conference. It is at the top end, but I don't know about top to bottom in particular in the middle of that conference.
0: yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think there's some things there that I agree with. And then some things where I'm like, okay, I'm not sure. Because like, if you're counting Iowa at the top of the conference, Iowa, I don't, I don't know if they come in. I don't know what place they would come in, in the SEC West, but they wouldn't win the division. All right. And they wouldn't sure. come in second. Um, so that's not a Bama thing. I see the Bama stuff where it's like Bama and then everybody else. And I go, okay, so we got Georgia back in the national championship game. And I'm like, how can you be that dismissive of the last non Bama team to win it? Having it be LSU, which is two years ago. It wasn't 20. Yeah. You know, cause then I saw the other stuff where it's like, Hey, look at the BCS and play. I'm like, we're counting Tennessee as an sec team now that like as part of the national championship. So I push back on that. So sometimes I wonder, like, are we picking the arguments that we because if you're hearing, "Hey, I expect this conference to go 12 and 0," you're going to be like, "Well, that's ridiculous. That's not what's happening." But then when they go 500 or just below with two teams in the national championship game, yeah. it's like, "Oh, I so, thought this conference was good." And I'm like, "Well, wait what What are we asking then for? Like, Purdue, I, 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 like Tennessee has to pull that game against against Purdue. Like, wait, a minute, Kansas State playing a wide receiver quarterback for like that's a that's a sick win. Like, what
2: happens here? And I, I don't know how to keep track of it all. I don't disagree with you, and I think um, what can also be difficult is defining the tiers that I talked about. Right? I talked about like it has to be a conversation within the teal. tier. When I say the top end of the conference, I say all. Uh, th- this is th- this is just me. I always just think of at maximum the top three teams, but generally the top two teams in the conference. That's your top tier, and that's Georgia and Alabama, and they are better than Ohio State and Michigan. What tends to happen is that when you get into these debates, right? So, if we start debating the, the overall conference, you'll bring up Iowa, I'll bring up, you know, Florida or LSU and say, what happened against UCLA? And well, they weren't really bad. And so, what you really start arguing is, is like, well, that team shouldn't be considered one of the top tier teams, even though Iowa, because of the stupid division format, actually played for a conference championship. They weren't even, in, at least in my estimation, a top three team. In, in the Big Ten because of, uh, of the imbalance in divisions. Easily. So I mean, that, Ohio I mean, State, that,
0: Michigan, Michigan State, I don't think there's really much argument at this point with Iowa. So go ahead.
2: That That's that's correct. But you get what I'm saying, right? So yeah. this is where those arguments are. And then you bring in these anecdotal things and, and you start to cross over what, what tier a team is in and what games that they played versus what opponents. We do have to say like Auburn lost to Penn State, and Penn State wasn't even really ranked all season long and wasn't getting a lot of respect because of the loss to an Illinois team. So we're kind of talking in circles here. I would just define it as this. I, <laughs> I did a I good will. job of th- that. Like, the SEC is the best conference at the top 10, period, and has been for a decade or more. Um, the middle of the conference, it's a really great conversation with the Big Ten. Because the Big Ten in, in the middle has done a, a pretty good job. And the middle of the SEC, at least this season, wasn't as good as we expected them to be.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Because I've had moments over the last few seasons where I go, going into this, I think the Big Ten has a chance to kind of, it'll be the first time I'll feel comfortable saying another conference is better than the SEC. I just think anybody that argues against the SEC and maybe we're changing whatever the argument is, I go, you know, whether it's five teams playing for a title now, in this stretch and A&M who came in fifth last year, which should have been left out of the playoff, but still sniffing on it. If you had a season where if you had, a, let me put it this way, if you had a decade where it was Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, pick Iowa, or Wisconsin, all playing for a national championship, none of us, none of us that think that it's this bias that exists that I hear right. spouted do you think I would actually be dumb enough and want to ruin my credibility to come on a show on a Monday being like, yeah, I think it's still the South. I still think it's the SEC after we'd had you no. know, five. I, no. I would never, ever do that. And that's where I think, no. Like I thought at the end of, of the Michigan big 10 championship game, I couldn't tell, and maybe you'll get pissed at me here, but I couldn't tell if Gus and, and you had it planned a little bit on how you want to talk about Michigan and Georgia, because it was like, Hey, I think Georgia will be two, And then Gus was like fired up. He's like, wait a minute. That's bias. And I was like, "Wait a minute! Here we go." I go, "This this feels a little like it was planned out a little bit." So
2: I brought that up in my podcast. It was so If I ahead. could plan, no, I I will I will tell you this: if I could plan things with Gus, uh, that that would be a win. But it's you know he we don't talk about that stuff. That something like that is is not planned. He gets remember he grew up in Detroit, right? And so. Gus gets all been out of shape and I try to walk him off this ledge quite often, but he gets all been out of shape about his team's never playing the cold weather, man. You know, like he, <laughs> he, he hates the fact that they don't come up and play in a game like we saw with Ohio state and Michigan, right? Um, the snow falling, the cold weather and, and, and things of that nature. Um, it's, it's part of what, has made college football great. This this fabric of college football is this argument. It has become regional and yet regional in a sense of pride, which makes it national because the the regions are arguing against each other. Um and so, but no, to answer your question, we had not talked about it. In fact, I don't remember exactly what was said at the end of the game. I know we were talking about seeding and what he thought talking what was going to happen.
0: And you and, said, "Hey, it's going to be Bama, it's going to be Bama, then it'll be Georgia, then it'll be Michigan." And then he was like,
2: "Why is it going to be Michigan third
0: by <laughs> Georgia?" He's like, "That's well, biased, was, Joel. That's biased. Was, and I was like, "Here he we was go." Mad.
2: He was mad. He did not want Michigan to play Georgia because let's let's be let's be really honest. This thing played out in the best possible scenario for the SEC. The best possible scenario: Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC championship game played out perfectly for them because they got two teams in. If Georgia wins, they don't get two teams. Like I don't think Bama is in. I, I don't know exactly who was going to go, whether it would be Notre Dame sneaking in there or how they were going to manufacture it. Oklahoma State would have gone if they would have gotten the pylon in the Big 12 championship game, but they didn't. Um, so it worked out beautifully. And then you, you also get this, this matchup, which is going to favor you where both of your teams get in and both of them miss each other. So they're going to beat these other two teams, Cincinnati and Michigan. I firmly I firmly believe that this worked out as well as it possibly could. And that's where people outside of the SEC footprint start getting really frustrated. They're like, oh, of course, this is going to happen again. It seems <laughs> to always happen uh, for them. And yeah, they get the benefit of the doubt, but they've also earned the benefit of the doubt, in particular at the top end of the conference. But I don't yeah. plan those conversations with Gus. Okay. I, I, right. I wish we could.
0: I think Gus was ready. He was like, if Michigan rolls in this game, I'm going to make sure I, g- I get this in. I get this across. Uh, and by the way, maybe I should correct myself being so dismissive of a two-loss Bama because if it had been a close loss to Georgia, you know, who, who knows? knows? Maybe the committee goes, ah, they're still better than Notre Dame. They're still better than Oklahoma State if Oklahoma State was able to pull that game out. Uh, what else did I have for you here? Because this is, this is the part of the, the geography of it that isn't even the SEC. Ohio State's the only team in the last 16 years that I wouldn't describe as a Southern football team to win a title mm. because if you throw clemson in there where clemson's run is somehow well we know why like clemson's run doesn't get enough credit because of what yeah. Bama's done clemson's run is yeah. one of the great runs in the history of the sport It just happens to totally. coincide with the best of all time so you know you throw auburn in the mix you throw florida state in there clemson i mean this do you see this As a problem, do you see it maybe, you know, not a year to year interest, but planting the seed for a 20 to 15 year loss of interest out on the West coast, or maybe some of the mountain regions? I'm certainly not Texas, but this is a, Uh, this is a pretty dominant geographical run.
2: I mean, to to say the least, there's no doubt. And, And I would love to be smart enough to have better answers for this, but I think that it's, it's. There's a lot of factors. I think that this is a multi-factor analysis. I think that you can talk about the just the the overall migration of our society to the South. I've heard people argue, and I think it's an actually a really smart point. As air conditioning has gotten cheaper, it's become easier and easier to live in the South and you can avoid the winter. And that's why populations in the South have exploded. And so all of a sudden, you just have a denser population and, and recruiting pr- footprint in the South. I mean I mean I've heard that argument and I can't dismiss that right like that's that that seems to be fair there's very fertile recruiting grounds uh in in the southern united states um and I think that one of the factors that you can talk about just within the sport is that the lack of financial success on the west coast has opened up the recruiting nationally in particular from from teams from the South, to go out and and get into Texas and then into California. And that's something that you didn't see a lot of. In particular, like when I was playing, you didn't see the SEC teams going into Texas and getting the best recruits in Texas. You never saw anybody go in and get the best recruits from Southern California and the California area and get them out of the footprint uh, there. When I was playing, Oklahoma and Texas owned the state of Texas. Nobody came in there, right? I mean, the Big 12 was the Big 12. Alabama wasn't getting in there. Nick Saban hadn't, hadn't come yet. In fact, Les Miles had just left from Oklahoma State and gone down to LSU. And so it, it, it didn't feel as, as national as it does now in terms of recruiting. But then all of a sudden, you had the Big 12 kind of disband. And then now Nebraska, which is a, normally a power, is not recruiting Texas very well. And then you let the SEC into Texas. Now their footprint expands into one of the most fertile recruiting bases then USC falls off the map and everybody goes in and starts poaching Southern California kids. And so now all of a sudden you take the South, which is already a very good recruiting base. You say, hey, the ACC is not doing quite as well revenue wise. So those teams are going to go down just a little bit. So now you've got all of Florida, you've got Texas, and you can go poach California. Plus you still have that Atlanta, Georgia area, which uh, produces a lot of great talent. And you can see why the SEC has become so big, so powerful. And so dominant over this era, their recruiting is just second to none at this point. And I think it's because they have access to every fertile recruiting ground in the country.
0: Let's end on this uh, because I know you've talked about it. I don't know if you've pivoted at all because I know that I have a bit. I I think that's kind of, trying to keep up with college football, having an open mind about some of the things that we want. I don't know how much I love the idea of expansion. I know that it's going to happen, and I'm okay with it when it does. I just don't love some of the arguments that we're opening ourselves up to for teams where it's like, wait, you had a chance. And now you got like a three-loss team, and you think you have a chance at like an eight-seed in this whole thing? Like, That's that's just something I'm not looking forward to, Um, but I'll get through it. The playoff part of this is weird because it was like, "Hey, here's the plan." It's like, "Oh, by the way, it's not the plan," and none of us—we're just not on the same page because now we have this <laughs> this alliance here that's anti <laughs> SEC and ACC. Uh, um, yeah it's weird because the more you dig in and kind of ask people about college football, it's like, yeah, maybe people didn't really have it as locked in as we thought with these imminent changes. Changes will happen. The timeline seems to be delayed. Where are you now with all the different stuff that you've heard in your travels, which I'm sure access to great information on what they'd like to have happen, but it's always hard to get everybody on the same page. It
2: is. Um, I have also evolved on the playoff. I don't know if we ever had that discussion, but I used to be, I don't want to say vehemently, but i I was against expansion um, from four to
0: eight or four to twelve just beyond correct. four okay all right
2: I, I mean even going to four I had <laughs> i you know I was like uh guys I you know I don't know because my my whole argument was that the most unique and special thing about college football that was different than every other sport on the on the planet was the uniqueness and importance of the regular season. And I was hanging my hat on that. And I thought, man, the expansion into a playoff format, it's gonna ding the regular season a little bit. I don't know if I'm in favor of that. I have come off of that position. And its it, it's because we have shoved all the oxygen in the sport into four spots. And that's not good for the sport. Okay, so we created a problem with the new playoff that we need to go and we need to fix. So that doesn't mean that expansion overall is the best thing that could ever happen for college football. But it does mean that based on what it is now, there needs to be some fixes. And when I say shove all the oxygen, I mean all the importance, all the meaning, the definition of success only is determined by those four spots. See, in in past years, like I've I've talked with Barry Alvarez about this. And I've talked about, you know, Barry, I, I don't know if what you did at Wisconsin is available to anybody now which means he went to a, a program that was not very good at Wisconsin, and he built them into a power using incremental um, definitions of success. Getting to 500 meant something. Getting to a bowl game meant something. Getting to a New Year's Day bowl game meant something. Getting to a Rose Bowl meant something. And it meant something that could define you as successful in, in the pantheon of the sport, not just for you and your own fan base, but it was like, this meant something to everybody in the sport. And now that's not necessarily afforded for everybody because if you're not in the playoff, it's not deemed a success. Ask Ohio State fans right now. Um, they would not deem their season a success. And so because of that, we have this, this separation of the classes where only the top six, five, six teams in the country are getting all the best recruits and they're going to continue to separate themselves out. And then everybody else is going to be suffering. and And I think that allowing some opportunity for a definition of success for more teams, whether they're going to win a national championship or not, you need to have that definition of success, at least afforded to them uh, through an expanded playoff. They also need revenue badly after COVID revenue is going to be a big part of this thing. And I know no one wants to talk about revenue, but they need to expand revenue. uh, uh, And in particular in places like the ACC and in the PAC 12 to try to remain competitive with the uh, conferences that are right now driving a lot of revenue, like the big 10 and the SEC. Um, now, when you get into just like the, the, the formation of what could potentially take place, this is where there's a lot of argument happening. I firmly believe that Greg Sankey wants what's best for the sport. Having said that, he's incentivized to act in his own best interest, just as Kevin Warren is and George Kolomkov and, and Jim Phillips and Bob Bolsby. It's one of the problems with the sport is that everybody within the sport at the power level is operating in their own best interest. And there's very few people operating uh, with the interest of the entirety uh, in mind. Having said that, we're we're gonna argue, or these guys are gonna argue about very small differences. For instance, right now, there is an argument between, hey, do we want to include automatic bids for conference champions, or do we just wanna say the six best champions? Now, you and I might think to ourselves like, well, there's no difference between the two. But they are legitimately arguing like there's an impasse over that language of are we taking automatic bursts? Are we talking the the, the sixth best? And, and because of that, people just folded their arms and are like, well, we can't move forward. <laughs> so it, it might be a longer process than we think, but it ultimately will happen. We will expand. And I think that it'll be good for college football, at least in in relation to what I was just, uh, I guess, chatting about, which was just the overall importance of the meaning of success in our sport.
0: Yeah, because I always push back about like, okay, so this team's going to be in there. They're going to get a chance to play for a championship when I'm like, okay, we're going to have one year at least where there's of the five automatic bids of the power fives, say, and then the six is to the group of five. There's going to be somebody be like, wait, that team's in there for a championship? Like that conference is completely down or whatever. But then again, I'll look at some of the numbers, which I think are a bit cyclical here. But the 4-1 matches, some of these matches we had in the playoffs have been absolutely blowouts in a very short amount of history. Of totally. So it's like, totally. okay, so you have this system and we have blowouts. So you're just worried about blowouts in a different system um i do kind of like the idea though of of people feeling like things are not against them all the time and i still can't believe that all the power brokers would agree on something where it's like hey you know at least two or three of us or excuse me one or two of us are getting screwed out of the playoff money right is that what we want to agree on okay cool because that's what we just agreed on uh last thing before i let you go because i forgot about it and i know you got to run here harbaugh what if he bounces
2: (laughs) oh gosh it's been so new. I just read about this yesterday. I had not right. thought about it. Jim seems pretty happy. You know, I was around them. I think I did five or six of their games. He seems pretty happy. He brought in a lot of these guys on his staff that he's comfortable with that that I think that there was something different about that whole program this year. Um, I would be pretty surprised if he left. having said that, he's had success every single place that he's been. You cannot argue with that, by the way. There are a lot of detractors from Jim Harbaugh. You cannot make an argument that he doesn't succeed wherever he goes. And from an NFL owner standpoint, that's going to be very appealing, is that he can come in and probably have success with your roster. Now, whether he's going to have long-term success or not, I think remains to be seen. But he certainly is going to uh, turn any organization or program around that he's involved with. Um, Having said that, I don't think he's driven by money. This is not a leverage play for a, a new contract or else he wouldn't be donating all of his bonus money back to the program like he is with all the bonus money that he renegotiated with. If you don't know, he renegotiated. He took half the salary. Everything was incentive-based. So he made basically like, I think it's between 2 and $3 million in incentives this year because of their great run to the playoff. He's donating all of that back to the program. I've never felt like this guy is motivated by money, which means that I, I just don't see it. But I could be wrong. I mean, uh, th- that's pure speculation on my part. I think that he'll be the, the coach at Michigan next year.
0: That's Joel Clack breaking the huddle Wednesday night, FS1, 9.30 Pacific time. And then he'll be again a part of the National Championship live tailgate on the night of the title game. Uh, that'll be on Fox Sports and CFB on Fox digital platforms. Uh, I've enjoyed
2: you all season for multiple seasons. I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. Thanks, Joel. No doubt. And, and listen, I, I will be more accessible in the future. I was even telling somebody uh, here, they were like, New Year's resolution. I was like, I'm going to become a better texter. I'm the worst. I'm I'm terrible at returning texts. So there you go. (laughs) Well, don't don't beat up on yourself.
0: It's a new year. Thank you, Joel. (laughs) See you, bud. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking. And they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training, and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday.
2: You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required.
0: Life advice. Before I do that, new show, documentary, four parts, I think. I probably shouldn't do this until I've watched the entire thing, because I don't know how it's going to end. But the line about this Navy SEAL team, it's on Apple TV. It's unbelievable. I don't know how many of you watched Restrepo, or Red War by the author, um, Sebastian Younger, who did Perfect Storm. War was one of the best war books I've ever read, so immediately wanted to watch Restrepo. That was like as real a documentary, um, at least on, you know, those guys were in the mountain ranges of Afghanistan. I mean, like, you don't need to be told, hey, that would suck to be part of that deployment. Like, yeah, the gear is cool, and I want to be a tough guy. I think a lot of men, you know, you grow up, you kind of think like, oh, I wonder what that would be like, you know, uh, maybe some don't, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure plenty are like, fuck that. I wouldn't want nothing to do with that. I don't know. I, I think there's always been a part of me that would be like, wonder what that would be like. Well, how would you, how would you like, yeah, I guess I'll just admit it. I'll ask myself, like, how would you handle that in the moment? Like, would you be losing your shit or would you be steady? Would you figure out a way to get through it? I have no idea. I think there are times you would almost want to know. And then you watch those and be like, no, I'm good. Like I'm, I don't want to know the answer because it's awful. And watching this thing about the seal team in Afghanistan and the seal team leader in this whole thing, I'm, I'm two parts into it. So full endorsement of that show on Apple TV. If you have Apple TV, uh, we do have a 20 year debate going on. My friend group of what would you rather do be in jail or be at war? And I mean, I would much rather uh be at war. There's a few guys that pick jail though and I'm like you guys are out of your minds but
1: I I mean I think the answer is definitely jail. What, you get meals like you get your own bed and cot. It's nice and cozy, you know. I mean you're probably bored out of your mind. Yeah, it's somewhat dangerous, but it's not as dangerous you you, you war. Think, you think
0: you get a little bored in jail, you think?
1: <laughs> I mean I mean, but like I'd, I'd rather be bored than like dodging bullets in Afghanistan. For me it's not even I there's no way. There's no fucking You need way. to be stimulated. Yeah, all right, I'd all right. be like, no. I'm just like I don't care. No, here's just... the thing. Are you trained? Like are you like do you know what you're doing at war? Or are you or is it you at war that like, here, here's a here's a you know, AR, figure it out.
0: Uh you know, <laughs> this, I, this, I'll, I'll debate in, in jail. <laughs> this date this debate has gone on for so long because the guys yeah. that pick war can't believe the guys that pick jail and the guys that pick jail can't believe the guys that pick war. So um I think it's there's a moderate understanding that you would be trained. Okay. Yeah. Kyle,
3: you're a war guy, right? Over jail? I wanted to be an MP guarding some sort of stuff in Spain where nothing was ever going to pop off. That was my, in high, in high school, that's what I wanted to do. But um, what was the inspiration for that rewarding Uh It just lifestyle. seemed like nothing was ever going to pop off. It seemed like, well, you know, there's only so many ways to get a pension. I want to, you know, be enjoying my life by the time I'm, you know, uh, cresting into my 50s so it'd be nice to just be taken care of if i could just put in you know 20 years fresh out of high school that would have been that would have been kind of a dream um but i ended up not doing that
0: okay we got a couple things going on here one is you that's not that's so not you though like you're not a narc and then you Uh, were well
3: not a cop like an mp is like i I understood it It was like a, a guy who like guards something like you're not necessarily looking for drugs or something. You're just kind of maybe guarding some shipping containers in a Spanish dock or somewhere in Hawaii. I don't know. that's what I thought. It was like, I don't know, my recruiter was very zealous and overzealous and told me my, you know, you know he was going to show me the world like Aladdin or something, but uh, I ended up not doing it, so it's fine.
0: So you went through the recruiting process to potentially be an MP at docks in Hawaii or Spain.
3: In my head, that's what I was going to do. Yeah. Well, I took the test and they were like, yeah, man, you could do anything. I was like, okay. I feel like you probably tell a lot of people that. But the the ASVAP or whatever, was like, it said it worked out really well. It was like, yeah, you can pretty much, you're qualified for anything.
0: Like, like okay. you have unlimited potential. Guys. <laughs> I <was> like I've <laughs> I got a <laughs> 75
3: in math. There's no way I'm qualified for everything. But thanks.
0: <laughs> guys, like, do you want to be a tech, a sniper, or a doc guy? And you're like... <laughs> Doc guy. All Where's right, the so, boats, what, dude. so what's going on with this filter? You have a mask that's a fake mask on your Zoom filter, and it's...
3: Well, you know, I like to test them out. I like to test a different thing, but guess who's got COVID? Probably me. Still haven't gotten my thing back, but uh, about three days ago, I took a test, but I've been feeling like shit. My girlfriend tested positive, so, I mean, one would yeah. surmise I have COVID. Okay, can we stop testing it? Because it's, it's driving me crazy, this filter. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I kind of love it. Actually, no, I think it's going to have to stay now. Okay. All right. I got overruled. That's that's fair. The next life advice, you'll get a different one.
0: Um I I hate, I hate looking at it. And so we're gonna have to, Sarudi, so can you take a picture of this at yeah. some point and just say this is what Kyle brought to the table on a Friday? I don't like it, but I, I am um I'm I have some dictator tendencies on the podcast. This will not be a time. I'm gonna start adjusting it.
3: <laughs> we to start fake adjusting it <laughs>
0: the thing is is we have one life advice that's so good and i can't wait to have kyle chime in on it that i i almost want to see the full kyle but that's that's fine that's fine this is uh this is your call it's your filter your rules thanks okay all right first one is uh i don't know maybe you guys can help help me out with this one okay six two one ninety five can play a play a mean ukulele that's probably a fun instrument to be able to just It's getting late. Like, hey, break out your ukulele. All right. uh, Girlfriend and I started serious conversations about moving in together this year. I need some advice on how much would be fair to charge her for rent. Uh Uh-oh. Background. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, what's the debate? It's 50-50. Sometimes a little more complicated than that, as our man explains. I own a three-bedroom house in a large city. Can currently cover the $2,600 a month mortgage comfortably with my budget. She currently lives in a one-bedroom apartment about 15 minutes away, and her rent is in the $1,500, $2,000 a month range. We both make about the same salary, so no personal finance discrepancies they uh, are not, they're not really an issue. Obviously, utilities and such would be split 50-50. Okay, so utilities, 50-50, but that would only come out to her chipping in a couple hundred bucks. A complete 50-50 split on the mortgage feels like too much since her portion is ultimately getting invested back into my house's equity, but I also don't want to get totally taken advantage of by asking for peanuts. I keep coming back to an easy all-in flat rate of $1,000 a month because we're both um, because we both see decent monthly housing expense relief at that amount. Okay. Um, but that still feels steep at a thousand dollars. Maybe those feelings are just from being a product of Midwestern parents. Oh, look at this. What would you do? I'm sure plenty of folks are going through the same scenario. So general cohabitation financial advice is greatly appreciated. Would love to hear Saruti and Kyle's take as well. Y'all are the best. Um, I love the Midwestern values here thing. Cause I think what we're talking about here is a guy who's a bit old fashioned and feels like if he's going to be the man in the relationship, he has the home, he's providing, um, shelter and that it's not a stretch for him to cover the 2600 that he's already done on his own that he would like to provide for a person that he cares about a lot. Uh, I am probably still a little old-fashioned in those ways, despite never having to have this conversation with anybody. I've thought it out in my head. And certainly how you are doing financially as the provider. Um, and again, this could be flipped if the female provider has the house and she's doing better than the guy she cares about and sees a future and a family together. And you just start to adapt and make some concessions that should be Um, you know, not influenced on like, am I getting fucked on the rent? Oh, it's just 60, 40 splits actually bullshit. You know, like if you want to marry somebody (laughs) and have kids with them, you're really going to let 60, 40 ruin your day. Now, some people listening to this would say, absolutely. That's, that's bullshit. Maybe some others are listening to this. Our older listeners, we do have older listeners that are going, nah, man, like if that's going to be your wife, she's going to be having kids, which is, I think where you're hinting at this going, then you should provide for her. I like where your head's at. I don't think you need any advice from us whatsoever. You don't want to charge her that much, but you want to charge her something. A lot of it comes down to how will you presenting this impact the relationship? Because I would say others, you know, there'll be some women that you'd be dating that would be like, this is great. No problem. I want to feel like I'm kicking in towards the house's equity. That's going to become our house. And there'd be some women that are like, you're lucky you're getting 50-50 on the utilities. It's your house. I'm moving in. We'll see how it goes while they're pocketing all their savings. Um, It really depends on the other person and how they see this. I think your head is in the right place. I would bring it up. And if you feel like there's no pushback to a thousand bucks, you could just say, hey, look, you want to do a thousand bucks until we figure out taking the next step? And if she's totally cool with it, you don't feel like there's any tension and she's not lying to you, then go ahead and do it. If you want to charge her less because it makes you feel better because you know that she's going to be really important to you, then go ahead and do that. But really, it's going to come down to like, Where you think that comfort zone is for her feeling like you're actually in agreement and you're not just saying out loud what sounds like an agreement, which will lead to like if she says yes to a deal she doesn't like, she's telling her friends. And then six months later, all this animosity is building up where it's turning into like, yeah, the fucking guy's charged me a thousand bucks on top of everything else. You know, it's not like we're not going to get married. Um, Now, there is a different situation where it's just somebody you're living with and you're not sure if you're going to get married. I, I think the rules are different there, but I think your heart and your head are in the right place. And it sounds like you're probably even going to go under a thousand bucks because of whatever guilt that you have as a Midwestern salt of the earth type of guy. Um, and that, that's really up to you, but I don't, I don't really think you need our advice. I think you mapped it out pretty well, Kyle. I feel like you're going to go in another direction on this
3: one. I'm not, I think you're right. Yet a thousand is a good square number. Now that I understand the situation, you're not splitting a rent for nothing for something you won't own. And when it's all done, you know, people paid X amount of dollars and you move on like this. I get this. This makes sense. But it, it a thousand dollars is a good square number. She's getting a break on what she had before. And uh, honestly, if she has a problem with that, honestly, she's a bit unreasonable. And it's good that you're doing this test drive before you move to the next step. So I think I think that's great. I think she's saving money. She's going to be living in a house that, you know, maybe she'll have some input on stuff like not necessarily that she's going to start painting walls and and um, changing cabinets and shit, And I'm just saying, like, maybe she'll feel like she has a little bit of, you know, she feel like she can try to improve it with you. And maybe, you know, that it's just it, the thousand dollars would be well spent for her if she thinks this is going to work out. And also it's saving her money. And um, especially if you're making kind of the same amount of money, it'd be weird if you were taking a large portion of your income and she was taking none of it to, to put towards living situations. I think I think a thousand is a great number and I wouldn't do anything else. If, if that works, then just stop there. No, no need to think about it. It's a great job.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think if she doesn't want to contribute, that's a bit of a red flag for you. So, uh, and I think, like you said, $1,000 is a good number. And, you know, she should probably know too. And I, I don't know how you necessarily broach this with her, but like, you know, she's going to eventually get that money back. If you guys get engaged and married. It's not like she's throwing that money to, to rent. like uh, She's giving that money to you, which is then building you guys equity. So. I don't know how exactly you have that conversation with her because that is like the logical person to me saying you're not actually losing money here. In the long term, you're actually probably just giving the money to me, which is then your money in our same bank account. So I don't know the eloquent way to have that conversation, but that would be the logic.
0: Yeah. I mean, he does say, Hey, it's a girlfriend. We're having a serious moving conversation. We'll see where this goes. Um, so maybe, you know, everything that I'm talking about marriage and kids and the future down the road, maybe that's not even there yet. Um, uh, I would think it is if you're taking this step that it's a possible option and an option that you probably both hope that happens, but I would not be a hard liner on this one ever. You know, I, even if I weren't doing that well, I, I just, I don't know. I just think there are certain times. And again, this is, I feel like I'm a little bit more old fashioned where it's like if I'm going to be making more money and bringing money back and I already have a place that I live in and I care about you and I want you to be in my life, then I'm not going to get fucking worked up about a split. I actually think that's where people lose their minds about stuff. I'm sure there are people listening to us right now going, no way. Nope. Nope. It's a, it's an understandings agreement. doesn't mean anything's going to work out. So why are you going to get taken? I'm not saying get taken here. I'm saying just come up with something where you feel like you're actually out loud, being honest with each other about the arrangement and a couple hundred dollars swing here and there. I mean, who gives a shit? We're talking about a potential life partner here and making sure that that part of the relationship is more secure than you wondering if you're losing a couple hundred bucks every month. I mean, I don't know. I remember I had a roommate situation where a guy let me sublet in. You know, I was pretty desperate for a living situation at that point. This is kind of part whatever of, of all the shit that I talked about in the past. But his his girlfriend basically lived in the house with us. And then one of my friends was like, hey, are are you doing the rent three ways? Are you doing the utility? And I was like, no. Nah. I was like, whatever, dude. You know, like, I don't. She's cool. We all get along. They help me move in. Like, I'm just... And again, maybe I'm a pushover for that, some of that stuff, but I've also lived with other people that are insane about utilities and splits into and the dollar and the phone bill. And did you do this one and all this different stuff? And you look back on it, you go, it's a lot of stress that didn't mean anything. It just didn't mean anything. And a couple bucks here or there over the course of your life, you know, my, my goal is to not in every one of those negotiations in my entire life to be up big. Like you know what I was, you know I didn't I didn't win throw the deal. in for this, yeah uh, I didn't throw in for this <laughs> bottle service, and there was a time where I won two credit card roulettes here, and there was there was also another time where they, we, the, I got a better hotel room, but we all paid even, so I was up there. Like honestly, guys like that in your friend group, and they exist. <laughs> I've got a couple, just like who the fuck's keeping who, when is this game <laughs> over? Like when do you win it?
1: imagine your friend group like you know you're talking about it and you're like yeah you know she wanted to pay 800 but i was i was really hard about a thousand she's paying me a thousand bucks a month like what's the response like cool dude like congrats that's awesome man 200 bucks a month for your okay. girlfriend.
0: i think we have we've handled that one what did you do with maddie saruti did you did you guys, how long did you guys live together before you were engaged
1: well so we lived in an apartment uh for a couple of years before we got engaged. And then we bought a house before we got engaged. But I mean, we kind of knew where where it was going. And then I proposed when we closed on the house. So we were actually never, you know, in the house, not engaged, but we went into the process not being engaged. And it was really never a conversation. We were just like, we're just going to split it 50-50. And that's what we did.
0: Was there any pushback on like, we
1: can't live together until we're engaged? You weren't doing that kind of stuff, right? No. Sort of no, happened. no, right. no. My dad is a hard, like, you should live with someone before you <laughs> before you're willing yeah, to to them for the rest absolutely. of your life which is the best advice you can give to anybody i don't i, I don't honestly i mean i know there are different things that people and values and whatnot but i it's it's just the most no-brainer thing to me like how would you
0: it's the most no-brainer someone? it's seriously one of the most no-brainer things ever i can't yeah. believe that people do it i dated what value that was like, would
3: that be that prevented you from doing that like well, what value would, would you have to be a amish
0: like well, I I grew well. up,
1: like, you know, it, going to going to Catholic mass, right? And there was, yeah, I don't know. That, that was back in, like, the 90s, right? There was, like, some frowning upon that. But it, it, I feel like that quickly changed in the last, like, day. Yeah, you weren't so. supposed now to Google
3: stupid. boobs, according to them, either. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, who didn't do that? Cosmic <laughs> Googling boobs. On the family <laughs> computer and then freaking out because I never taught myself how to clo- uh, clear the Google search bar. So oh, if you boy. typed in yeah. B, it was a problem. <laughs> I figured it out eventually. Good for you. Do you, you yeah, live yeah. with a lot of women, Kyle? Uh, Well, I live with a single mom. Are we talking like romantically or what? Actually, Not now s- I just
0: want to know about yeah. you living with a single
3: mom. Because you're going to be fucking kidding me. No, my mom was single, I mean. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that one makes way more sense. Mom, no. you I mean, I can, understand, <laughs> I can understand how how many life advices we've gone down weird roads. So I can understand why you thought that, but no, the The person, the, the woman I live with now is the only one I've ever actually moved in with. So
1: nice.
3: <laughs> so it's so far going well, but <laughs> there's women in my life, Ryan, what do you want me to say? That's like, um, what is it?
0: Is it, is it grandpa's boy or what the hell's what's that? Grandma's movie? boy. Grandma's, Grandma's boy. boy. Yeah. boy. Yeah. When, when, um, <laughs> when it's Swartzen, right, and he goes, he's like, "Oh, you guys mean like you guys should come back?" My roommates, they're like, "Your grand, <laughs> your grandmother, correct?" <laughs> like when they're not your. Like, oh, sorry, that's such a great line in his. <laughs> let delivery. me check yeah. with my roommates first. Yeah. yeah, let me just check with my roommates first, dude. Um, he's <laughs> Nick Swartzen delivering a line, and almost anything's a win. You know, whenever, whenever he it's like, okay, <laughs> actually, we were DMing at one point. I think we were trying to get him on. Obviously that didn't work out. Big Timberwolves fan. For what I remember. I'm a little upset with Kilborn. He's been at like three Timberwolves games here at the, what used to be known as the Staples Center. And I don't know, but yeah, I think he's sitting courtside. See, those are not invites. You don't get those invites, the courtside invites, but we're, you know what? We'll plant the seed in his head next time Timberwolves are in town that's even going to happen um all right i i have i have one here i'm not going to read any other ones because let's let's end friday in a note here where i this one's just ridiculous buckle up folks five seven one ninety not fat but not yoked either my parents are both from greece so i like to think i'm built like a bulky mike tolbert-esque greek <laughs> statue
1: no, it's just like thick european <laughs> do. <It's> Dol- nice <laughs>
0: Like, you no, know, that guy's torso looks like Mike Dolbert's. <laughs> <laughs> to give you some background. I'm a senior in college where I once played a sport, but hung up the cleats. I make good grades. In fact, parentheses, not to sound like a douche. I have a job in investment banking lined up after graduation. Nice. Hey, time out real quick. If you have an awesome job lined up in investment banking and you want to do it and you're like apologizing that there's a chance you're going to make insane money in 10 years, if it works out, don't apologize for that. All right. The way we look at success now and criticize it is very weird. And so I would say to everybody listening, if you have a good setup, and again, it's not a guarantee that's going to work out here, but if you want to be an investment banker, because it could be fucking awesome for you financially and you want that life, go for it. Good for you. Don't apologize about it. Okay. Um, He also likes to just do normal college stuff, hang out, watch sports, drink beers. Anyway, I began dating this girl at school about a year and a half ago. I remember the second I laid eyes on her as a freshman. I knew she was the one. I hope this guy doesn't get busted for this. Or at least that way we'll know it's real. Uh, After a couple of years of putting in work, this guy put in some effort. I finally began dating her. For the most part, things have been great. She's everything I want in a girl. Cool, funny, athletic, and beautiful. Sometimes she can be a bit bossy. And my boys like to give me shit by saying she wears the pants or calling me a simp or whatever. But I don't really mind because I really care about her. I got to say, first read through on this one, the Greek part saved me from even reading it. All right, here we go, because it was so specific. However, we recently have gotten into a disagreement stemming from things in the bedroom. Hmm. started after the night of a party. We went back to my house. It was late. My four housemates were all home. So that means we're living in a, we got a domicile, five dudes, four roommates, you and your lady come back home after a big night out. Me and my girlfriend came home and had sex in my room. The next morning, she left and things were fine. Until my housemates started giving me a hard time, saying they could hear her repeated spanking noises from my room.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Kyle liked that one. <laughs> Apparently, that wasn't the first time they heard it either. To make matters worse, uh, one of my housemates' girlfriends was also over that night and she heard it too. A few days go by. Next thing I know, all these girls in my friend circle get word of the spanking noises from my room and it gets back to my girlfriend. Obviously, my girlfriend is super embarrassed and upset, but she is most upset with me and not my housemate's girlfriend who told everyone. The problem is the spanking noises did come from us, but it was not her on the receiving end. (laughs) Look, I know this sounds super suspect. It does because it's so well written, but maybe you're going to be a great investment banker because you get your point across. Um, I know it sounds super suspect. I've been with other girls and nobody's ever done this besides her. He did say she was bossy, (laughs) Um, and it's not like she does this every time. It's just when we're drinking. At first, I thought it was a little weird but harmless and not very aggressive, so I didn't say anything. Over time, I suppose it has escalated a bit, not to a crazy, painful level or anything, but (laughs) (laughs) – But since it only happens when I'm drunk, I guess I just don't really care. Besides, she's my girlfriend, and I really like her, so I want to make her happy. All caps. However, now she is saying I have until the end of the month to tell my housemates it was not her who got spanked. (laughs) Or what?
3: Or what? I'd call you on that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is where I'm like, I don't know. It's... it's... I almost didn't read it, not because of the content, because I'm just like how well it's crafted. Uh, but you know what? A lot of things checked out. I did a little research, so I think it's real. So I know far, this...
3: this isn't any movie that I've heard of, so I think yeah. we're,
0: we're good on that thing. Season nine of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, right? I know this is something my friends will never let go. Yep, they're not gonna. Plus, I'm worried about everyone else will hear about it too. I try to explain to her this is way more embarrassing for me than it would be for her, but she says that's just my toxic masculinity speaking
3: <laughs> oh come on oh, no, i man. see what you mean now now yeah. i see what you mean
0: and i really liked her and if i really okay so she said that's just my toxic masculinity speaking and if i really liked her i would defend her by telling the truth she's been super cold to me recently has barely talked to me the last few days we rarely fight and i've never seen her this mad what should i do is there any way i can make things right with her without having to embarrass myself or am i gonna have to swallow my pride and come clean okay okay Um, I was with you trying to find a resolution until she said, if this is true, all right. If she thinks that you telling your buddies, Hey, I am actually the guy getting spanked in there that you all heard. And every time you hear it, it's me getting spanked and you don't feel like dealing with it as a college kid. That's one of the most understandable things ever. And that's not (laughs) toxic, toxic masculinity. So the fact that she would, again, if this actually happened, if she, countered your argument like hey it sucks way more for me than it would for you so if we just let this thing go and she says no it's your toxic masculinity i would break up on the fucking spot right there i don't care how long you obviously this is something that's very tupac above the rim for you um that's cool and all appreciate your effort for two years which probably could no offense call you a simp for that alone um you said she was bossy your friends, like she kind of wears the pants. And so I would, at this stage of my life, you know, you get a little bit older, you give less of a shit around you. It's not like you, you know, I think it's just a certain age. You probably don't have four dude roommates. Um, then you might just say, yeah, man, what's up. That's my deal. What's up now. You know, but at this stage, if you don't feel comfortable, like, you know, if we really want to get like the deep end of this, the fact that it's It's your toxic masculinity, but if she cares about you, she couldn't actually see it your way and understand that this is how you're reacting and your feelings are thus. And therefore, she can't like understand and accept those things. And it's just about you being a man that doesn't want to admit he's been spanked by his girlfriend (laughs) at their house with four other dude college guys. If she can't understand that, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't date her. Um, That's probably not what you're going to do because you've been in love with this girl for so long. Uh, But I would I would say this. Who would ever want to be in a relationship, except for psychopaths, where you would never want the other person to ever push back on anything, right? Like, I wouldn't want to date somebody. Like, I know I'm going to kind of do things my way, right? <laughs> I think that's pretty evident <laughs> at this point in my life. But I wouldn't, like, if I cared about somebody and they were, they, you know, we're in it for the long haul. You also need that person to kind of call you on your stuff a little bit. There needs to be some pushback. There needs to be some fight back. And if she's constantly running this and there's never you're never allowed to have any pushback whatsoever, that's not very healthy for you and it kind of makes her look weird. So look, I'm on your side. I would tell her straight up, "Hey, this is going to end the relationship if you're telling me that it's my toxic masculinity that is the reason why I don't as a college kid like I don't feel like dealing with this." Now you could just sit back and say I got one more semester, but yeah, you're going to be I don't know. I mean, it's not the worst thing to ever have said about a dude. Um, so I wouldn't worry about that all that much. Um, but I don't I don't know. I don't I don't think I I, I don't know. I don't I don't even know how this could be one of those things where generationally, as I'm saying this stuff out loud, people are like, Oh no, in twenty twenty two, Rasilla, you have to absolutely <laughs> own this. And I would just be like, Okay, well then I'm psyched I'm not in college right now, because there's no way. There's no way college me at twenty one would be like
3: step
2: it up to the plate. Yeah, like yeah <laughs> Come like on.
0: Hey, I know you like doing that to me. That's fine because it's behind, you know, it's our little deal. It's not that big of a deal. Okay, whatever. Although, now that I think about it, there's a bunch of guys I know that would have been like, yeah, I don't care. Fuck it. Yeah, I get spanked up. She likes to
3: spank me. What's up? Um, I don't know. Go ahead, Kyle. Take it. I mean, I was, I was, I started out initially thinking that of like, but you just shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to be like, hey, I just wanted to clear something up. Uh, I'm the one who's uh, on the receiving end of the spanks. So uh, as long as we're good, if you can just go tell everybody you know so we can get this cleared up, uh, that's great. Spread I, the my, word. <laughs> yeah. My advice is operating from you're going to do nothing. My advi- So my advice isn't like, what should you do? I'm saying, well, how should you navigate doing nothing about this is all I'm saying is because, uh, a I don't think anybody really – most people don't end up with anybody from school, whether that be college or high school. I guess college has probably a higher success rate. But, like, you're about to be an investment banker, dude. See where that life takes you. You already know what this – what, you know, what ticket you have for this ride. It's it's obviously not going to be great. I mean, and the other thing is if she can't understand that when you step into a a five-person college house, like, you should be happy if that's the only thing that happens to you. Like, honestly, (laughs) anything goes, like, your stuff gets broken, you know, just – Stuff happens. So, like, the fact that, like, this is out of your control and she wants you... You just kind of have to charge it to the game at this point if she doesn't understand that. It sounds like she's a senior. She should have been around a few college houses to know that, like, you're not safe there. It's definitely not one of the safer places. So, I don't know. I just think... I just think you should do... You said you like to drink beer and talk sports and hang out, and I think you should continue to do that, <laughs> run out her clock, and see what the fuck happens. Because at the end of the day... um, you're going to be an investment banker. You're almost done with school. And it sounds like, you know, you're stressed out about this and you're never going to get these years back. And I don't think you should have to cap it off by, you know, telling everyone you get spanked so somebody else feels better. That's weird. So yeah, Charge just it. continue. Charge do it you. to the game
1: is what Kyle said. <laughs> yeah, just do keep doing you. Keep doing you. It It's not about admitting, you know, it's not, it's not about the kink shaming or admitting that you're the one being spanked. To me, it's about what else is she going to ask you to, take the fall for later in life you know like th- this this is like the first step of something that could be like problematic in the rest of your relationship like is she gonna ask you to like take the blame for like car accidents in the future or like random shit at work like who knows and you don't want to be dealing with that stuff especially as kyle said if you're like this young budding investment banker who has his whole future ahead of him um but we don't know she, that it could also not work out too it, it could, it all could. Come it, down. you're right you're right but um But at least he's got, you know, he's got a leg up on some other people coming out of college. So there you go. He's got something going for him. And yeah, because I I don't I mean, we used to have a grunter. I remember in uh, in our in our room in our in our it wasn't five was four it guys. And, you know, like you get some shit for it. But like, I didn't like really care that much about it. Like we made fun of the guy just because it was fun to make fun of him. But other than that, like it didn't actually matter long term. So admitting that you're the guy getting spanked isn't that big of a deal. I'm just more worried about what she's going to ask you to do in the future if you continue with this relationship. Yeah, what if she
3: like it. embarrassingly pukes at a party in her 30s and she's like, go tell everyone you just Bakes. puked outside and go <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Do it now. Like at some yeah, point. I, you know, I feel
0: like I feel like my mind has changed a little bit on this. And I think Sarudi made the best point about like, dude, does it mean I have to take a bullet for everything forever. Like, if we're actually going to have, it, granted, it's a college relationship, but the chances of this carrying over into your real world life is probably pretty slim anyway. Although, certain schools are different. Some schools, like, people actually do meet their spouses there. Our school, we were told when we checked in, like, the, our, the marriage rate out of Vermont was like the lowest of any nation. It was unbelievable how low it was. It was pretty funny. And so, um, as I've thought more about it, like, if it happened in my house, it's not that big of a deal. Like we would have been, I mean, look, there's weirder stuff that happened where you'd be like, what happened? You'd be like, that's weird. And then it just, the next weird thing happens, it cancels out the previously weird thing. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I think it's more about, there's some root causes here of the relationship that are alarming. That's beyond just, hey, you have to admit that you got spanked. It's that there's this disconnect on like, hey, can you, is it okay? Like, I don't want to deal with this. This is how I feel about it can we just let this thing go? No, I'm demanding that you admit that it's you for all these other reasons. Like that's, this is really about an argument. It's not even about the spanking part of it. Cause honestly, the more I think about it, usually I'm pretty good at having like the sensibility of going back in time, 20 plus years. The more I think about it, like if this, let's just say it happened to me, like I probably be like, all right, whatever. Yeah. Like whatever, dude, like, I, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Maybe I wouldn't love it,
1: it would suck for like a week and then like, yeah, I don't know, people yeah. get over it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Never...
0: yeah, and honestly, like I said, if, if depending on what your friend group is like with us, that would have been Thursday and then right. there'd be next Thursday and yeah, no one would even care. And by the way, if the investment banking thing goes really well, you're going to be in your 30s paying for somebody to spank you,
3: <laughs> <laughs> signing
0: nice. up, signing up for that lifestyle. <laughs> so,
3: you know, maybe she's doing you a favor. A lot of ways to look at that one. I agree. Let me just say one thing. I think this is a good opportunity to test what happens if she doesn't get her way. That's what I, all I'm saying. All I'm saying is if you're thinking about going out to the next phase of your life, it's a good idea to just, the stakes are still relatively low. It's a good idea to just, what are you going to do if I don't? That's what. And you don't have to say it that way. Just see what happens if you're being, you know, yourself completely pleasant, perfectly pleasant, and just not doing this thing that she's commanding you to do. Just see what happens.
1: Yeah, there's then no lose know. here. Because either, like some girls like, guys that they can control and i don't think you want to be that guy so then you'd figure that out or you're going to be like hey i'm not doing this and she's going to be like kind of turned on by that and that might actually help your relationship so uh, either way i think you're all right yeah i, I have no idea how any of this is going to go um i, I wonder if it's run follow up i wonder like what her what her approval rating is amongst the people in the Because well, i feel like it would be yeah I feel <laughs> gotta like it's not be, great gotta be there's no way it's high there's no way there's no way um boston your buddy around
0: spanking him all the time <laughs> 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 please follow
3: up, dude. I would please please love to up. know
0: how anyone would describe in this episode to somebody. Like, hey, what podcast is you? What are you? What are you into lately? He'd be like, oh, this Ruscillo guy. Like, oh, the ESPN dude He's okay. It wasn't great. I'm like, yeah, no, no, he's he had this episode the other day. He did the thing about like championship droughts, point guards, did his college football picks, and they spent twenty minutes talking about a college kid getting spanked by his girlfriend. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, hit that subscribe button. All right, thanks to Kyle and Steve. Uh- <laughs> Ringer Spotify, please subscribe. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you
3: Monday.